0: Shalom and peace to everybody. That's all right. Having fun tonight. But it's 5 o'clock in the morning now. Stick around, don't be no
1: clown. It's Sunday evening. Coming right from Burlington, Vermont. You're in Ahmed's house on WBKM.org. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome back on into to Amit's house, this very first Sunday of 2020. A great way to kick it off, it's with a conversation with singer-songwriter Mark Cohn, which happened uh, just a few weeks ago at Mark's Upper West Side home in New York City. So here we go. He's going to talk about that song and other songs. He's going to talk about Amit. He's going to talk about Jerry. Take your shoes off. Take your hats off. This is a special place. This is Amit's house. And tonight, Mark Cohen.
2: Well, here we are on the Upper West Side of uh, New York City on this uh, beautiful December day. And it's a pleasure to sit down with uh, a great American songwriter, Mr. Mark Cohen. How are you, sir? I am so good. Thank you. and Welcome to Amit house. Thanks for having me. It has probably been an incredible journey since you were a kid and you first sat down or stood up in front of an instrument. Yeah. Take, take us all back to what that felt like and that
3: dream. Well, I, it's funny, I just found a picture of me that I posted on Instagram a few days ago. Uh, I don't know who sent it to me or how I got it. I had seen it years ago and found it in an old folder. It's a picture of me with headphones on and a guitar at what is clearly my first recording session, I'm about 10 years old, and my brother Steven, who went to Ohio State, had a place in Columbus, and he was a musician as well, a piano player, he's passed away now, several years ago. Um, but he had a recording, little TIAC 4-track or something, I can't remember what was even available then. Yeah. But I remember the two songs I recorded that day, I'd already written like five or six songs, I already had sort of this, even though my voice, I don't know if my voice had changed or not, but I remembered what those songs sounded like, because I heard them several years ago. Um, I I already had this deep voice. And that was the beginning of my journey. I mean, from 10 or 11 years old, because of the music I heard in my house, because my brother had a band. So he would play Ray Charles. He was an organ player and a piano player. So I, I heard Ray Charles, not only from the records, but in my basement because my brother played all that stuff really well. Um, So it was the beginning of loving music that I heard from him. And then obviously just, you know, over the the time I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, up until I really started doing nothing but songwriting when I left Oberlin College. Um, I was obsessed with music you know, and willed myself to learn how to write and sing because that's what moved me when I heard Ray do it or Sam Mm -hmm. Cooke or (sighs) Crosby, Stills and Nash, Jackson Brown, all these people that just made me want to do what they were doing. But I've been doing this for, you know,
2: 50 years. You can't see yourself doing anything. You probably never could see yourself really doing anything else, could you?
3: I pretended. You know, I pretended there were other things I could do. Uh, my, my parents passed away when I was very young. My dad was a really good singer. Uh, not professionally, but I think he would have gotten a, maybe a kick out of what I ended up doing. He might have also been envious. I don't know. But um, <laughs> what was I going to say? What was your question? <laughs> uh, oh, envisioning ever doing anything yeah. different. Well, and so because my parents passed, I had a stepmother who raised me. And she was an older woman from Germany, didn't really understand our culture very well, certainly not rock and roll or anything like that. But we had a conductor that lived next door to us named George Zell, a very famous Cleveland Orchestra conductor. And she would take me almost every weekend because he gave us box seats in his box to the Cleveland Orchestra. So she was a huge fan of classical music, the idea that. I would become a popular musician of any kind with no training, no anything. She just thought it was ridiculous. So, um, and she was probably right. I mean, it is largely ridiculous to think, you know, to dream. Mm -hmm. But some of us do it to a fault, and some of us do it, and it works out. Um, I was lucky on many levels. Um, But I, I even got a note from her, my stepmother, after I won the Grammy, with an article from the Cleveland paper that said, or maybe it was after I got signed to Atlantic, where she wrote me this, she she sent me this article that said, uh, Cleveland doctor still finds time for cello, meaning you could do this music thing, you know, whenever you want, but do something serious. So I would say her lack of understanding and support helped. It gave me something to prove.
2: Really put you back up against it. Yeah,
3: exactly. So, yeah, she thought I was going to be a doctor. I said, yes, sure, no problem. And I went to school for a few years. And the last test I took at Oberlin College was a blue book of orga- inorganic chemistry. And I just filled it with lyrics. Mm. I knew I was going to fail because I hadn't paid attention. I was already putting bands together. Um, so I was, you know, I was obsessed from an early age. And I went along with the drill, the normal drill, for my stepmom's sake. But ultimately... I started on this path a long time ago and knew that there wasn't really much else I could do. Yeah, yeah, you pulled to it. It's it's fascinating. I've had many
2: discussions with many people about that fine line of difference between, um, whether it's an actor, musician, a writer, whatever, where there's the very good, the very, very good, Mm -hmm. but then there's a line that maybe it's that line of ridiculousness that you pass where you say, it's great to be a doctor, but this is the only thing I can do. Mm-hmm. And it is what separates you from others who, as you're going up this tree, they, they, they branch off and they go this way, they go that way. Yep. But only a very few cross that line to really accept that, that fate mm-hmm. almost, as if it's just <laughs> saying to the heavens, this is the way you made me. It's your fault. I have to go forward I have to do this yeah you don't have a choice almost really
3: and you know where I was growing up in Cleveland in the 60s and early 70s mm. I didn't know any songwriters there were a few songwriters that lived there but all the people that did what I wanted to do were very remote they mm. were in some distant land right mm. um, and all these people that like you I read on the credits who are these magicians where do they live <laughs> um, I want to I want to be in that group um, but, yeah, there was nobody to talk to about how to do this. Now I see one of the greatest parts about my journey uh, has truly been the fact that I've not only come to meet some of my idols and heroes, but they're friends and collaborators. I'm so lucky that I can ask them, what's your process like? What do you do when this happens? I mean, boy, that would have been amazing when I was 15. But, like I said, everybody I knew were you know professional people. They weren't musicians. Yeah.
2: yeah. And there's something you said about the struggle of not knowing yeah. how to do this and doing it all wrong, mm-hmm. which becomes the Mark Cohen way as opposed to the Graham Nash way or anybody That's else's exactly. way because their way also shouldn't have been copying that other person, even if they wrote it down. Like, right. I can, I'll hand it to you, kid, but it's still not going to matter. Exactly. It's not going to be yours. It's mine. That's right. You can hear it from Ray, right? In yeah. the room with you. It ain't going to help you.
3: Remind me to tell you a great uh, Jerry Wexler story,
2: Tom. Oh, yeah, yes, um, and that you know sort of does start us talking about Atlantic, which is why we're here in Ahmed's house. Mm. You have a physicist who decides he doesn't want to be part of the Manhattan Project, and he becomes one of the greatest producers and recording artists of all time, Tom Down, of course. Yeah, whose daughter Dana I just spoke with yesterday. Oh, cool. Uh, wonderful person. Um, you've got Jerry Ruxley, the eulogy for Ahmet. Jerry couldn't make it because he was sick, but mm-hmm. he did a little video where he thanked Ahmet for giving a guy with no history, no ability, no credentials whatsoever mm. to come into this record label and yeah. do what he did.
3: Cool.
2: And, of course, we call it Rhythm and Blues because Jerry thought it was undistinguished to call them race records. Yeah. And, and he was uh, right. People use that term every day and they, they don't know at all. And that's part of what our journey here is about. Mm. To get a lot of people to know who Alvin Erdogan is. Because you already know who he is, you just don't know you know him. Right. And then, deeper than that, Jerry Wexler and Tom Dow and Arif Martin, I mean, you know, and Nessuweer, and all these other people. whose names, unfortunately, have been maybe forgotten even by yeah, years. You're helping
3: yeah. to... Change that.
2: It's a great joy. That, that is our attempt. That is our great attempt, you know. So, I guess the way that I think of introducing it, the thing that you've had to talk about forever and ever and ever since you wrote the song, in the middle of the pouring rain, mm-hmm. you figuratively, imaginatively touched down the land of the Delta blues. Mm-hmm. What was that discovery of that song like? And then let's talk about what happened to your life after walking to Memphis.
3: Well, my whole life changed. I mean, first, the thing that changed my life was getting signed to Atlantic. Um, Writing that song, though, which I guess I wrote that song probably five to six years before I got signed, so it was already an old song for me in my repertoire. Um, But I knew when I wrote that song that I had turned a corner in terms of finding my own voice as a songwriter. Uh, I've been writing songs for years and years. There were hundreds of songs that came before that one. Um, but I knew that along with Silver Thunderbird, which ended up on the first Atlantic record debut of mine. Um, I knew that when I wrote a few of those songs, Memphis being one of them, that I had turned a corner, like I said. But it still took years till I got signed. Um, and of course... Once I did get signed, I found out how important that song was to the powers that be at Atlantic. They didn't know if it was going to be a hit. In fact, a lot of people thought, well, this will do well in the South, but who else is going to care about this song? Luckily, they were wrong. Um, Memphis did play it first, I think. It was one of the first stations. But uh, getting signed to Atlantic was the first huge thing, and then the whole evolution. I don't know if you wanted me to talk about writing the song. Oh, but, absolutely. Okay, well, that was, it. like I said, years before I got signed. I was a struggling writer, and I literally went down to Memphis to try to find some inspiration. One of the rare times you go looking for inspiration, and you actually find it. But it doesn't always work that way. Um, and it was my girlfriend at the time, who later became my first ex-wife, <laughs> um, who said, you should come down here. She had business in Memphis. And she said, I, I just know so much of the music you love is from here, and it's amazing you've never been here, so let's you know, come visit. Um, and I don't remember if I went with her, I think she, I went with her the first time, but anyway, she had friends that knew where I should go, not just the normal sort of places, but where I would really meet and hear the real South, The real shit. Like the real I shit, say. exactly. <laughs> um, and that turned out to be, for me, in the end, two things that were just life-changing that I write about. And it's kind of the narrative is pretty much true to what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, this one person said, you got to go to this place called the Full Gospel Tabernacle Church. Never heard of it, of course, but I did know the preacher. They said, yeah, that's Reverend Al Green's church. So why don't you go on a Sunday morning and you can listen to Al Green preach the gospel all morning and all day You stay as long as you want There's Sorry, me up. Yeah. you can still go. I mean the, on the weekends. He's still there um, I'm pretty sure he preaches Anyway, I'm a Jewish kid from Cleveland, Ohio I I was an enormous Al Green fan, but my experience of being in temple was very different than this um, These this was being surrounded by people that were deeply moved getting the spirit crying, laughing. I was crying and laughing, sweat pouring down my back. It was, a, I think, in August when I went there. Uh, and just listening to Al Green preach was a remarkable experience. Um, a lot of people think it was a religious transformation for me. It really wasn't that, but it was certainly a spiritual one. Um, so that's part of the song. I talk about Reverend Green being glad to see you when you haven't got a prayer. That's Al Green. Then I went to this place called The Hollywood, which is really the centerpiece of the song in the last verse, uh, which talks about a woman who uh, passed, unfortunately, before the record came out. But her name was Muriel Davis Wilkins. She was a school teacher during the week. And on weekends, she would make a little extra money by playing at this place called The Hollywood Cafe. And that was a place, used to be a slave commissary. And now it was uh, a place where you just go get catfish and fried pickles and listen to Muriel who was playing this beat up piano, terrible sound system, um, but her spirit came right through. The minute I laid eyes on her, I heard her voice, I just fell in love. So there I was, this 25 year old kid, listening to this 65 year old Arkansas school teacher, um, singing gospel songs and uh, standards. And I would go up to her, I went up to her during her first break when we talked. I told her I was a songwriter, and a singer. And we spoke for all of her breaks that night. I think she played 45 minutes, took off 10 um, for hours. And finally, at the end of the night, she invited me up on stage. Uh, Sorry, this is a long story. I want the long story. (laughs) So she invited me up on stage. And it wasn't until I got up on stage that we just looked at each other and realized there wasn't one song both of us (laughs) knew. So how were we going to sit in? Um, How was I going to sit in? So I just followed her, and she she ended the night with gospel songs like Near My God to Thee and Touch the Hem of His Garment. I tell this story sometimes uh, in concert. Um, These songs were not songs I knew, but she would whisper the lyrics in my ear, and I would sort of try to catch up with it so that we could sing them together. Um, And then maybe after two or three songs, she started Amazing Grace, which I knew. And we sang that acapella and at the end of Amazing Grace in this old place, um, she whispered in my ear, cause I had told her about my mother and my father passing away when I was young. And she said, I think you can go home, let go of what's been bothering you, what's making you sad. I think you can go home now and write those songs you mean, you've been meaning to write. So it was like an anointment by Muriel, it's like, Go home, child. You're ready to write your story. Little did she know, she became a big part of my story. Um, but I went home after meeting Muriel, and I think, I don't know, maybe seven or eight months later, I had written half the songs that became my Atlantic debut years later. So I went back to Memphis to play Muriel my new songs, and she was so lovely and generous and listened very attentively I have a picture of of her listening to me while I'm playing these new songs at the Hollywood Um, and at the end of playing her maybe four or five of them she said child they're all beautiful but you know that one where you mentioned me at the end I said yeah she said I think that's the best one play that again and so I played it again for Muriel and uh, that was that the rest they say is history
1: well, the rest is history. Here's Mark walking in Memphis, Amit's House.
0: Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues, in the middle of the pouring She looked down over me. Yeah, I got a first class ticket, but I'm as blue as a boy can be. Then I'm walking in Memphis. Just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam. Walking in Memphis. But do I really feel the way I feel. Saw the ghost of Elvis On Union Avenue Followed him up to the gates of Graceland And I watched him walk right through Now security, they did not see him They just hovered around his tomb But there's a pretty little thing Waiting for the king Down in the jungle room. A beer walking in Memphis Be glad to see you When you haven't got a prayer But boy, you got a prayer in Memphis Muriel plays piano Every Friday at the Hollywood And they brought me down And they asked me if I would Do a little number, And I sang with all my might She said, tell me, are you a Christian child? And I said, ma'am, I am tonight Down in the land of the delta blues, in the middle of the pouring rain, touch down in the land of the delta blues, in the middle of the pouring. Rain.
3: You're up, Jimmy. I'm sitting down.
0: (laughs) Y'all wanna hear Amazing Grace. All right, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. But
3: But, yeah, I mean, she was uh, just a crucial part of, of my life at that point. She ended up singing at my first wedding. Um, I met a lot of her family over the years. I mean, it really, to, even now to this day, it still upsets me that she, she didn't know, at least not from this sphere, what had happened as a result of our meeting. She knew I'd written a good song. But that's okay. it. Yeah. But you know, to this day, when I play that song around the world, I, I really I can I connect to the song through thinking about her. A beautiful,
2: touching, sad, sorrowful, mm-hmm. joyful thing. Yeah, all together.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: So, so then the journey many years later to Atlantic. How, how did that happen? Tell yeah. us about Omni, if you can.
3: Sure. Um, I had a, an R and B band, a cover band called the Supreme Court, and we probably played. Half a dozen gigs, and that was it. The last one being Caroline Kennedy's wedding. So we thought, that's a good way to end this little run here. And we weren't doing original songs. That's what I was focusing on. So I sort of lost interest. But um, Carly Simon was the one who heard our band. And we backed her up, and I sang with her at Caroline's wedding. I guess about, I don't know. I don't know how much longer after that was, but the sax player in that band met Peter Kupke who was an A&R person in at Atlantic at the time. And he hired the sax player in my band named Jim Campagnola to sort of scout a little bit and see what was out there in the, in the world he traveled in. And uh, unbeknownst to me, Jim gave a four-song demo I had to um, Peter Kupke. It had "Walking to Memphis" on there and "Silver Thunderbird." I think a couple of others. Just me and a piano. That's sort of what I had done. I'd explored producing a couple things with a friend of mine, but mostly, whenever I had a new batch of songs, the uh, engineer producer who ended up making the first record with me, we would just record these new songs very very simply, uh, piano vocal usually, and that's what Atlantic got. and I got a call, uh, just completely out of nowhere, I think from Peter, uh, saying, I heard your demo, I'd like to meet. And I can't remember if it was that first time or the second time I met him where he offered me a deal. But I remember it was in Rockefeller Center, and that was, (laughs) I've been thinking about it now, my whole spirit elevates, because it was such an enormous moment to say Atlantic Records wants you. And like you had said to me about Robert Plant, you know, I'd been looking at all these labels over the years, too, with Otis and Ray and Aretha. And there were a lot, you know, Warner Brothers was another with all the singer-songwriters that I was really quite excited about, too. But, you know, Atlantic Records, come on, really? So um, that, that was uh, an amazing moment. It was, I don't know, I think it was several months later, because Amit didn't sign me. But I was told later, the, the best Amit story I have is that he was walking down the hall right as I had handed in pretty much a rough mix of my record. And somebody was playing one of the tracks in, the off, in their office. And Amit went in and said, Who is that? And they said, Well, it's a songwriter named Mark Cohn. He said, I want to meet him. Let's sign him. <laughs> and and the, whoever this person was said, We've already signed him, Amit, but I'm sure he'd be glad to meet you. And I guess within a few days, I was summoned (laughs) by the king. And uh, I I remember sitting in his office, and this was a, a lovely memory. I mean, and he was totally cool with it later because it all turned out for the best. But he said, I want to produce your record. And I said, well, that's fantastic, Amit, but it's done. He goes, well, I don't hear a hit. And he loved Willie Dixon, obviously, and I had covered Willie Dixon on the first record. They were all my songs except for 29 Ways, which was this kind of obscure Willie Dixon song. And I went looking for something obscure that I could make my own to sort of take a little left turn in the, in the sad, sourful, Jewish, Semitic songwriting that I'm used to. Um, so he, he basically said, I want to let's just recut 29 Ways. And I said, I don't know, Ahmed. I, th- I think walking in Memphis could do really well. I don't-, I don't hear putting out 29 Ways. First of all, I'm a songwriter, and I don't want to release something I didn't write as my intro to the world. So we had a little sort of back and forth there. Um, and in the end, to his credit, uh, you know, he had a different vision for what he wanted. Maybe he wanted my record to sound more R&B influenced because of the way I sing. Um, but in the end, when the record came out, and people started paying attention. I didn't have a bigger fan in the world. Um, I remember, you know, at the, I guess it was, the, not before the Grammys, there was another awards uh, program. I think the New York Music Awards, New York City Music Awards, and I won them all. And Amit was, I could hear his voice after I got introduced and played Memphis and I think another song, just, my he was screaming. I mean, I just knew it was him. Um, and sadly, that, I mean, that was at the Beacon, you know, where, ugh, God, talk about full circle. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, that's my my one sort of very specific Ahmed story. I just love the idea that somebody was playing my record. And he was like, sign him. You know, he signed. <laughs> you
2: got him. That's great. I love that. The journey since then has been a lot of years. Since yeah. That first album. What year was that first album?
3: 91. Came out in 91. You know, I recorded it in 88, 89.
2: So it allowed you to live... Begin to live that life that you really wanted to live. I mean, right. You're still living. Yeah, I mean, you're
3: still, still on playing. the road. Hundred times still. a year, hundred 100 shows a year at least. Uh, I'm very lucky. Where's the wood? Um, yeah, I mean, I never had another song that was that big on radio. Of course, now who knows if it would ever gotten any airplay at all? It would have been streamed.
2: <laughs> you would have got a record. Uh, I would have uh, been for
3: three and a half I would have been drowning in pennies. Um, <laughs> but I. I yeah, I'm just very lucky that I I was able to continue to make music, make the music I wanted to make. Atlantic was great about that even though I mean I I still think my second Atlantic record which is called The Rainy Season uh, had, you know, David Crosby and Graham Nash on it, Bonnie Raitt sang and played on it, Los Lobos, David Hidalgo played on it. Um, and my favorite musicians, Jim Keltner, Ben Montench, this incredible cast of people were involved in that record and I still think they're some of my best songs.
0: From off the horizon It feels like night time In the middle of the day And I don't know why But still so surprising How a love grows stronger Or it just fades away Fades away Cause you look I know the reason. It'll be my worst, all our tears away. But you got to bundle up, baby, for the rainy season. I hear you breathing heavy on the telephone tonight. I can feel the air thick as thieves. Sometimes I just I wanna tell you what be hard. At least that's what some part of me believes. I still believe in my space. The rainy season
1: Keltner, and I'd like to tell you that uh, you need to uh, turn on WBKM. Can't wait to listen to more.
3: Should I tell you my Wexler story?
2: Please do tell me the Jerry Wexler
3: story. Um, yes, thank you. I guess this was around, this was years before I got signed again. Like, I think I had just moved to New York. And maybe 1984, something like that. And I walked into a dinner party. It's not important to tell you how I ended up there. There was no reason for me to be there. <laughs> but I ended up at this dinner party and I'm the only one who realizes that the older man in the corner by himself with nobody talking to him and him not talking to anybody was Jerry Wexler. And I was shaking. I mean, I, I knew I was still, I had a demo. I knew like that could be my, my way in. Um, at the very least I have to say hello. And I, I pushed myself and was probably pushed by whomever whomever I was with. And I went up to him and I said, Mr. Wexler, you don't know me. I'm a singer-songwriter. It's an honor to meet you. Um, And he said, sit down, kid. And I sat down and we had a long talk. And at the end of it, I asked him all kinds of questions. And at the end of it, I said, would it be okay if I sent you a demo of mine? I'd really love to hear your opinion. And I think he said, yeah, on one condition. And I said, what's that? He said, I'm gonna be honest. So if I don't like it, I'm going to tell you I don't like it and why I don't like it. And I said, that's that sounds great. Now, no songwriter or artist really wants to hear no. that you don't like it, but it's Jerry Wexler. So what are you going to do? So I sent him the demo and I think about maybe a week later, I get a call that I put on the cassette on the cassette. And he said, it's Jerry Wexler. I want to tell you what I think of your demo. and." He was very, very honest. Um, He said, you're not there yet as a songwriter. And but you've got something. So keep working at it. I won't say it's not going to happen. And as a singer, I'll tell you what Ray Charles told me. And I said, please do. Sure. Um, He said, in terms of emotion, always sing like you have a full cup of coffee, but not one drop goes over the edge. (laughs) and he said you're going over the edge too much pull it back (laughs) and that was a very helpful thing to hear and he was he was right Um, I really learned how to sing soulfully but in a way that some people actually they remember how I used to sing and they go why don't you do more of that Um, because that's not my natural voice I was forcing it and that's why to this day I have no problem singing the songs that I wrote back then. You know, lots of artists have to lower the keys because they're singing really above their ranges. But I didn't. I sort of kept it where it was soulful, but comfortable. Anyway, go dissolve to uh, me being signed, right? To Atlantic. I'm on the road and I, I thanked him for his honesty and I took it to heart. Then I get signed. I have a manager in LA. I think I'm out there. I can't remember why I'm out there, but the record is out. And the, the secretary at my management office calls me up and says, you just got a call from a Mr. Wessler or Mr. K- I'm not sure what is Jerry something. She didn't pronounce his name right. I was like, Wexler, Jerry Wexler. She said, yeah, that's it. He left you a message. And the message was, Mark, this is Jerry Wexler. Just wanted to tell you congratulations. We're all so proud of you. I love the record now I have no idea till this day and it's probably true he has no idea I was that kid that he gave advice to I think he just you know thought I was dude that got signed to his label and he was doing the proper respectful music-loving thing giving me my props and being happy that I was an Atlantic artist but I was like man that is some full-circle shit right there Um, at first it was like you're not really there yet and now it's welcome. welcome welcome to the house
2: what a story I mean, wow. and isn't
3: that a great Ray Charles quote I mean that is so perfect. it's the epitome of his singing it really it's is. always perfect but never forced yeah. even when he's really kind of singing out it's still got some beautiful restraint on that track what would I do without you you know we go what would I where his voice breaks yeah. I mean, oh, God, there are just so many brilliant moments like that on so many Atlantic tracks. So That's that little uh,
2: centimeter over that line, and right. he doesn't use it very often. But when it, he uses that weapon, yeah, you're dead, you're he, done.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah, it's amazing. I'm Mika Erdogan, and you're listening to WBKM, where you can hear the music of Atlantic Records. Atlantic Records was started and guided through the years by my late husband, Ahmed Erdogan.
2: I'm just sitting here and just loving this. This is, this Good is man. why I love so much about what I do. And usually uh, you know, so get to talk to uh, to folks like you. It's uh, beautiful. Go out, look for the catalog, everybody. Buy the catalog. <laughs> yes, please. <And> for, no, <laughs> if for no economic reasons any longer, just because it's a catalog that ought to be listened to. And I have four children. And you have children, please. <laughs> <laughs> who all devour our buddies. That's right. wonderful, creative, imaginative ways. Have, have any of your kids... Moved on to a life of, in music?
3: No, but they're all very artistic, especially my. I have two older kids from my first marriage. Max, who's about 28, works at Comedy Central, and God bless him, he just got his first real writer's check because an episode of The Simpsons uh, used his. A story of his, a script oh, of his. How great. So we just celebrated that. My daughter Emily, who's 25, both of them are Oberlin grads. Uh, I went to Oberlin for three years, but they're the only ones that graduated in the family. <laughs> um, my my daughter is a filmmaker. She just had her first film in the Tribeca Film Festival, which she wrote and directed. May I brag a little? Please may. Um, and now she, we just finished yesterday shooting a video for a new song of mine with the Blind Boys of Alabama that she directed um so they're very artistic my oldest son who's the comedy writer is a great drummer but decided he didn't want to do that professionally although he could have he, he had a he had a he knew how to swing um And then my younger kids are are basketball fanatics. There's no, I mean, they love music. Not my, my 17 year old sort of gets what I do and likes it. My 13 year old doesn't get it at all. It's all hip hop. If I even try to play the stones, the Beatles or or any of that stuff, it's like he just shuts it out. So he's in a different world, but you know, loving what he hears. Um, just like I did, it's just a huge gap between what he loves and what I love, but that's the way it goes.
2: <laughs> but strangely, probably to him to even consider it, built upon that bedrock, that foundation, because you're not rapping if you'd ever heard Ray Charles. That's right, exactly. And the smart ones know
3: that. Yeah, well, I'm trying to teach them where it all started. Uh, and so, you know, if I wait to a certain, the perfect moment, yeah. they might listen for yeah. five minutes. But it's a, it's a, it's a struggle.
2: And that's what I love about being able to do this show because this isn't about what used to be. This isn't an oldies program with Mm. oldies music. Mm. This is about a past, but it's connected to its future. And it's such an amazing past that it's going to affect a future so far away from now uh, that people may never really understand it. But it's part of everybody's DNA. Absolutely. Jerry Wexer, Ahmed Erdogan, those great, those people, Tom Dowd Yeah. Uh, it's it's in that DNA, and they don't even know it's
3: mm-hmm. DNA. Right. So, so you're well, helping pass on the truth. I hope the so. Truth.
2: I hope so. It's all I can do, really. Yeah. Good Honorable for you. ups and downs, but it's the only thing I can do. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming into Ahmed's house, Marcon.
3: Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you so much.
3: Thanks, man.
0: searching like everybody else Can't say nothing different about myself Sometimes I'm an angel and sometimes I'm cruel And When it comes to love I'm just another fool Yes, I'll climb a mountain I'm gonna swim the sea There ain't no act of God, girl could keep you safe from me. My arms are reaching out, out across this canyon. I'm asking you to be my true companion. True companion. True companion. So don't you dare and try to walk away. I got my heart set on our wedding day. I've got this vision of a girl in white. Made my decision, and it's you alright. When I take your hand, I watch my heart set. I'll take my trembling finger. I'll lift up your veil. Then I'll take you home. And with wild abandon, make love to you just like a true companion. You are my true companion. I got a true companion. Oh, true companion. When the years have done irreparable harm I can see us walking slowly, arm in arm Just like that couple on the corner do Cause, girl, I will always be in love with you When I look in your eyes, I still see that spot Until the shadows fall until the moon grows dark Then when I leave this earth I'll be with the angels standing I'll be out there waiting for my true companion Just for my true companion True companion True companion
1: Well, once again, we want to really thank Mark Cohen for spending a beautiful time with us in New York City uh, two weeks ago, having this conversation about his life in music in Amit House. We'll catch you next week. org is where you can go to hear tonight's show a little later on and a whole bunch of others. Here's a little snippet of something that Mark recorded with the Blind Boys of Alabama just uh, this past summer. One more look back at that incredible song. Good night, everyone.
0: No Miriam she plays behind every Friday down at the road and they brought me down. They brought me down to see her And then they asked me if I The pouring rain. I touched down, and the land, the land of the Delta Blue, in the middle of.
3: the memory of Ahmet Erdogan in the days when Atlantic Records was the most magnificent record company on the planet. Good night.
1: And that concludes our show for this evening. Please be sure to join us next Sunday at 7 p.m. when we'll spend another hour together in Amit's House. Amit's House is a production of WBKM, Burlington, Vermont. Okay, Amit, play out.
0: Hold your babies! You can spread yourself out like a fan and mess around, mess around. Hold your baby and do the mess around. Well, all get juiced. You, you can bet your soul. Hey, Almond.